all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. Well, today we've got lots of time for you to call in with anything that's on your mind. That's right. Any kind of medical problem that you might have, we would love to answer it live this morning. You can reach us by calling one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Give us a call this morning and we'll try to answer your health care calls. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and you're tuned in to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We are glad that you have uh, chosen, oh my goodness, chosen, chosen to listen to us this morning. This is the program where we are here for you. That's right. This is the one program where you can... Uh, get access to a physician very quickly. That's right. All you got to do is uh, pick up the phone and uh, call us. And we would love to hear from you this morning. If you have any kind of questions about the health care of yourself or your family, or maybe it's a friend that you're concerned about, then this is the time to call in and get some answers. Or maybe you've been given a diagnosis and you just uh, have some concerns about it. Maybe you didn't understand what that physician was saying to you. You can uh, give us a call this morning and we will try to address those questions as best we can. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's uh, doing well out there today. Uh, walking in from the parking lot to MPB Studios. Uh, man, a little bit of a breeze there. This is the time of the year that I love because you get those days where it's like a hint of fall. Of course, it's Mississippi in the south, and we know that that's just a tease most of the time. Uh, I got that yesterday, and then after work, I went and ran uh, not too far from uh, from UMMC, and uh, I thought that I was going to experience what I experienced earlier in the day, walking back and forth between buildings, and I did not. Uh, it was rather hot and humid, but uh, hey, hang on, people. It will come. There will be a respite 
uh, from a climate standpoint, uh, that you can uh, enjoy those outdoor activities. So enjoy it while you can. Let's uh, go to the board. we got a, our first caller on right now. Let's go to Mac in Long Beach. Good morning, Mac. Good morning, Mac. Thanks for calling. I'm trying to keep my blood pressure under control. Uh, I went to Memorial Hospital. I hope it's all right to say that. Sure. Uh, Monday morning, I had a uh, appointment with my oncologist. And for several years, I've had cancer, and I go in and see her, and I have a blood test drawn, and then in about 30 minutes, you know, it's in her office, and then we can, I can go to my uh, uh, appointment. Everything's all right. Went in Monday morning. They can't draw blood. You cannot have a blood test now and or blood drawn on the day that you have a an appointment. Is that in your that's in preparation for chemo, is that right or uh well just as a uh when I have an appointment, she usually wants a blood test to look at. Right. Oh, beforehand, I see. Okay. And so you uh Memorial will not do that anymore. And they said that Medicare had decided that they wouldn't do that. And I have not, I can't find anybody else that has, uh, you know, run into this. There was, I live in Long Beach, uh-huh. which is not very far. It's like 22 miles. Yeah. Um, there was a person from near Poplarville, which was like 50-something miles that he'd come down, and they couldn't have blood. They were having to come back the next day to have blood drawn. Oh, I see. And yeah. this guy was 87 years old. Yeah. I And I'll be honest with you, I, I am not aware of any Medicare guidelines around billing and what's appropriate for that. I will say... I think, I think what it is, they get a uh, another visit, and the hospital can charge a visit for that. That that may be part of it. That may be part of it. Uh, but anyway, I have written uh, both of our... Both of our senators and our congressmen from Mississippi to see if they can find out what it is because it's ridiculous to, you know, <laughs> to have that policy. Yeah, I agree. You know, the, the the primary thing that should drive these is what's best for the patient. And you you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned oh, yourself or the other gentleman. You're way off base. I'm sorry. You're way off base if you think patients come first. Uh, it's I, the bottom I, line of the hospital. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm a physician, and I work for a hospital, and I'll say that uh, that that is the primary thing. If there are other people that have other priorities in mind, and I know you have to meet the mission of the hospital, uh, but I, I, you know, that's one thing that goes way back to my training. Uh, and certainly when I was a course director and a program director, that's that's the things that I always would say. Who is the most important person in the room? And that's the patient. And, uh, you know, I I get sort of irate about these things. Uh, It's not uncommon for patients to drive a long way to see their physician, particularly in Mississippi in rural areas, and they may not be able to get those services elsewhere. Uh, What we should be doing, and Mac, I think we're, we're aligned with our thoughts about this, 
is that, uh, you know, we should be making it very convenient. In other words, if it takes getting that lab closer to home and then faxing it in, or if it's lab work that needs to be done earlier that day, uh, if there are multiple physicians that they need to see, let's get them on the same day. I think advocating for that in the way that you're doing is absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, we should have more systems in place that make it easier for our patients to receive the care that they that they need. I was just on the phone this morning with a patient of mine who, uh, you know, it's getting difficult for him to uh, to drive back and forth to his visits, and he has to see multiple people. You know, we try to, to coordinate that the best we can. But you're right. We, we've got a lot of broken parts of the system in a lot of different areas. Don't want to point any fingers at anyone, but... Mac, I think you're on the right track. I think the more uh, you as a patient uh, advocate for that and talk to some of the people in charge higher up, the the better we're going to have an outcome. But I'm Sorry, not... I tried. Yeah, I'm, I'm not aware of any kind of, you know, Medicare stipulations that prevent that. Now, there might be. I'm not sure, but I, I, I don't think there are. I think that that's more of the systems that individual, you know, hospitals and services have in place. And there may be good reasons for that. I don't know. But All right. Well, I, I really appreciate your, your listening, and uh, uh, wish you all a good day. Okay. Thank you, Mac. Yeah, I always need to uh, advocate for that, for, uh, for more convenience for patients. And it's not necessarily about convenience. It's just the best care uh, is to try to make that as easy as possible. Thanks for calling, Mac. Let's go to Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for calling this morning. Hi. I, I, I want to say amen to Mac because the the delivery of medical care has become fragmented and it's just going down the tubes. That's my opinion. Yeah. And, Sue, you're not alone. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, you know, physicians aren't bothered by this either. We are. And, you know, unfortunately, we get sort of caught up, too, in different things. And for a long period of time, you know, usually if you look historically, somewhere back in the 70s and 80s, physicians just wanted to concentrate on delivering that care at the bedside, in the room with the patient, and we we sort of abdicated our voice in the process. And uh, It went downhill, I think, sir, not to interrupt you. Oh, no, go ahead. started out with hospitalists. Instead of having your own private physician come to visit you in the hospital, you've got a stranger coming in to see you. I don't like that. I think there are too many nurse practitioners out there, et cetera, but that, that's not what I really called in to, to ask you, though. Sure. Oh, go ahead, Sue. What What did you call for? <laughs> okay, I, I called because I wanted to ask you, is it still recommended by, by medical professionals that you drink eight ounces of water, I mean, eight glasses of water a day? Yeah, that's an old adage that actually has held up over the years, so eight 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 glasses of eight ounces, so 64 ounces is that's probably... Uh, what now? I'm sorry. That's two quarts. Right. That's so a lot of water. It is, and it may be different for different people. Now, that's the general recommendation out there. Most of the time, if you don't have any other medical problems, when you feel thirsty, that's your indication that you need to drink more water. That's just the way the good Lord organized the body there, and that's there. There's osmostats that control that. There's lots of different things in the body and in the brain that control it. Well, now, I was just curious about. People who live in the in the Middle East are these desert people like the Tuaregs and the uh, Bedouin people. I know they don't drink two quarts of water a day. There's no way they could get that much. I mean, they could. They'd have to have a whole camel train to take just 
to take their water supply along, you know? Yeah, there are adaptations over time that the body, that individuals can, uh, can you know, sort of adjust things, and the body's very good at doing that. Uh, and there's also genetic differences. I usually tell people if you're not from, you know, sub-Saharan Africa or somewhere in the desert, if you didn't grow up there and all your people came from there, you might not want to try that out because you can run into some problems. We we see a ton of people in the ER every year during the summer months, and not even, you know, a lot of them come in with kidney problems, acute kidney failure, with dehydration, heat exhaustion. Uh, that That's something that you need to take seriously, as everybody knows who's from the South. Uh, but even beyond that, you know, kidney stones, there's lots of other reasons to, to stay hydrated. I will say this, Sue, there are certain medical conditions that you want to be careful about. Heart failures, one, chronic renal insufficiency. If your physician has said you need to limit the amount of water that you're drinking or fluids that you're drinking, you need to sp- pay special attention to that. Some people need more fluids. And if you're outside, you know, generally speaking, you don't have any other medical problems, you need more. You're going to need more because you can lose a whole lot more than those 64 ounces that, that you need a day. Well, Dr. Jimmy, I, what I really call is ask you a question. I haven't even asked you yet. Can I ask you right quick? Yeah, go ahead. But why, why is it that uh, a person can be dehydrated, but yet their bladder will be full of urine sometimes? Is, are there special cells inside the bladder that that prevents reabsorption into the bloodstream of, of liquid. Yep. I mean, why doesn't why doesn't the fluid in the bladder, the urine, why isn't some of that liquid reabsorbed through your into your tissues? I get back into your body. You know. E- excellent question. I've heard that before. So here's a plumbing lesson. Okay. So okay. the body's plumbing. So your kidneys filter your blood, and they filter out certain substances that need to be filtered out and you produce urine, right? So once they produce that, once they do that initial filtration, there's no way for that fluid to be um, reabsorbed back. So the ureters, those are the tubes that go from the kidney down to the bladder, and then you know the ure- urethra is what connects the outside of the body to the bladder. All If it's downstream from those kidneys, there's no way to get that water back back. So you're exactly right. You can be dehydrated and have a full bladder. And those special cells, particularly in the bladder, are called transitional epithelium is the fancy term that they teach us in med- medical school. And it's real watertight. So you can think of it like a Ziploc bag. Oh, okay. So it's not something that you can reabsorb that water. A lot of people think you can, but you can't. Once it gets to that point, there's no way for that, that water portion of the urine to be reabsorbed. We just don't have a mechanism in the body to do that. So if you feel, a lot of people will say, well, my bladder's full, I must not be dehydrated. You can certainly be dehydrated and have a full bladder. Okay, well, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got plenty of time for you to call in with your calls. Maybe a couple of things from the news as well. Got Man, got some lot of veracity with uh, people with health care today uh, needs, and uh, we want to be able to meet those or maybe uh, listen to you for your opinions about that. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this break.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and uh, we are here for you today. That's right. If you have any kind of health care questions, we've already been addressing some of those today. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Lots of good questions about all kinds of bodily functions this morning. And uh, we're going to go from one organ to the next. That's right. All right, let's go to Willie from Greenwood. Good morning, Willie. Thank you for calling this morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I'm calling up about the beef liver, chicken liver with the blood in it. Should you eat that uh, type of organ meat or do away with it? Yeah, so there's a lot of controversy on this, and it really depends on where you get it from, how it's cooked. And a lot of people like their liver, you know, having it being really fresh, like you just described, Willie. Um, and they just like the taste of it uh, more than more than not. There's not really anything nutritionally better about food that's less cooked, liver in particular. The thing about the liver is in any kind of animal that you're going to eat their liver, uh, it's a filter-type organ, so it's going to filter out lots of different things. It is high in iron because it contains a lot of blood in it. So no matter how you cook it, you can't always get the blood out of it. And a lot of people like that bloody taste. You can say the same thing about other organs, like some people, their kidneys, uh, you know, cow tongue, uh, spleen. There's all kinds of weird stuff that, that people, you know, just like. I mean, that's just a, a food taste uh, a preference, that, that just like anything else. But uh, I would be careful because you can, particularly chicken is one of those that if you're going to eat the food that's on the raw side, there's not a good way to get bacteria out of it, no matter how you cook it. If it's on, you know, if it's more uh, uh, on the rare side, so a liver, generally speaking, if you're talking about trying to prevent a lot of the transmission of bacteria and viruses, you got to cook that thing through and through pretty pretty well. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You satisfied my concern. All right. And, and Willie, you know, just uh, if you do have certain, there may be certain uh, medical conditions. If you have heart failure, for instance, uh, there may be some concerns about that, uh, about eating that. Okay. Generally speaking, it's it's more of just the bacterial risk on there. Okay, but, but I actually want to know, is it really not safe to eat it? Should you stop eating it or I, change that to another uh, meat organ, like like another, uh, you know, or without that, that blood in it? Yeah, I would I would cook it. If you're going to eat liver, you need to cook it through and through. Okay, so if you eat it like every six months, you think that'd be all right? I think that yeah, I I think that'd be fine. Generally, moderation is good, so I think that's fine as long as it's cooked through. Okay, all right, all right, all right, Willie. Thank you for calling. All right, all right, thank you. Bye bye. 
all kinds of food preferences out there. I've seen some people eat some weird stuff. You know, raw food is not bad if it's fresh, if it's prepared um, um, correctly. You know, sushi in Mississippi, I can remember when it first uh, came on the scene that it, a lot of people were scared of that. And certainly there's some risk with eating raw food, uh, but you can minimize those risks through good food preparation. Let's go to Mike in Cleveland. Good morning, Mike. Yes. I had a question about um, how can I find a board-certified gerontologist in my area? Ah, good question. So uh, in the Delta, um, there's probably – I'm just thinking through my mind if I know of one around that area, and I'm not aware. Um, You know, in an area that has less people in general – it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get a, a, a subspecialist like that. I guess we should tell everybody what a gerontologist is. So geriatrics is the uh, is the type of medication of of medicine that focuses on the elderly and all the problems that can go along with that. So the medical conditions, medications that can be different in the elderly, and that's their focus of training. So generally speaking, this would be somebody who either does internal medicine or family medicine, uh, residency, which that's about three or three years of training prior to uh, receiving some extra training in geriatrics. So a little bit more expertise. Go ahead. Excuse me. Is there a place online where I could begin my search? Yeah, so if you'll go to the uh, American Geriatrics Association, uh, they should have a link, and I'm pulling it up right here, um, they should have a link that has a list of all board-certified uh, geriatrics um, physicians. And it may be somebody who is a general internist in the area or a family physician that has that extra training. So a lot of times they'll practice primary care and see younger individuals, but they may have that extra extra training. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Well, I'll, I'll go to that site. And, yeah, it's, and that's, that that's the American Geriatrics Society. So I got if it you, written down. Yeah, AGS. So if you go to that, they'll give you lots of information there, and actually a lot of information about just general things to keep in mind. Uh, if, oh, that's very good. I appreciate your help. All right. Thanks for calling, Mike. Thank you, Doctor. And that is, you know, we talked. We started off the discussion today with um, with some concerns about access to care. You know, Mississippi certainly we have our challenges when it comes to certain areas of the state. Uh, a lot of southern states that also uh, struggle with this in our listening area, but um, there are so many counties in Mississippi that really don't have access to care. They don't even have a primary care physician, particularly in pediatrics. Uh, so there's a lot of need for that. There's some creative ways that we're trying to bridge that gap. You know, we just can't get enough physicians right now in those areas. That's the ultimate goal. But we're also um, we're also looking at, at different ways to do that. Telemedicine is one where we can uh, communicate directly with people, with uh, nurse practitioners and other team members that are closer to where people are. Just doesn't make sense that a patient has to drive three or four hundred miles uh, to go see their doctor. That's not the best care. They need care that's closer to them and. A lot of different uh, hurdles that we have to jump through, but uh, we're trying our best to do that in the state. Let's go to Craig in Biloxi, Mississippi. Hold on just a minute. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun there. All right, Craig, uh, thank you for calling this morning. Yes, I heard you discussing edible stuff. Uh, I I recently got some, I believe, deer meat, and it had cancer. I found a big black gooey spot. I, I suspect it was cancer. Is that dangerous? 
Yeah, I'm not, I don't think the, the cancer is not necessarily dangerous because it's going to be just like any other cooked food. It's not something that you can catch from that. Uh, a couple of, I believe it was either last week, maybe the week before, we talked about um, the uh, chronic wasting disease in deer. That's one of the things you have to watch out for, particularly if you're eating organs that have uh, nervous tissue like the brain and spinal cord. But I, I'm not aware that can I don't know how that tastes. Um, it probably has a different consistency, but the proteins in that are a little bit different, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be okay to eat. I wouldn't advocate eating it, uh, you know, if it was yeah, me. Yeah, I buried it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best thing to do. I mean, you, you want an animal, if you're talking about animal meat or plants for that matter, because plants can be affected by lots of different diseases, viruses, uh, you want something that's going to be, you know, gonna, not going to have any kind of problems in it. So if it looks different, uh, if it were me, I throw that out. So Craig, uh, I, yeah, I buried it right away. It, yeah, it scared I, me. I but I wouldn't. You don't have to be tested or anything like that. If you handled it or even if you ate it, I think you'd probably be fine. But I, I would probably st- stray away from that. Okay, so them cancer cells die. Yeah, there's no way there's no way for that animal cancer cell to be transmitted to you. That's probably the main concern there. But no, that's not something you can catch. Okay, that was it. All right, thanks for calling in, Craig. Yeah, you got to be careful about what you eat. Um, also, an advocate for knowing as much as possible where your food came from. Um, you know, shout out to all of our farmers markets out there in the state. Uh, if you can develop some relationships with them, it helps out local farmers. Uh, you know where you're going to get that uh, produce from, that livestock from. And uh, and uh, thank goodness for Mississippi, we've got lots of resources to do that. I mean, a lot of different uh, um, uh, growers of different things out there. All right, exercise in the news. So, you know, how much is too much? A lot of, For a long period of time, people have been wondering, what are the effects of exercise? Is there a limit of exercise that we shouldn't go over? You know, we've got uh, our, our president has some views on that that may or may not be totally uh, medically sound. But uh, looking look to the literature... You know, how can exercise chase away the blues like depression? Uh, So what we know now, so there's analysis of, get this, 1.2 million people in the United States. And those who exercise reported fewer uh, poor mental health days on average. So about 3.4 days a month less of, uh, of fewer down days, those days that you just sort of feel down. So being active for about 45 minutes, three to five times a week, that's also associated with a positive effect. But if you do it a lot, and this just makes sense, you know, if you do uh, more than about 23 times a month, think about that, 23 times a month, 90 minutes at a pop, that's actually poor mental health. And that makes sense if you're just getting too much of a good thing uh, that's stressing you out. Certainly you can have a lot of physical damage there, but there also seems to be a diminished return from a mental standpoint. So keep that in mind. Most of us are getting too little exercise. We probably need to get more. Don't use this as an excuse, but there are some limits to that. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can reach us this morning with your health care questions and concerns by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Got plenty of time to answer your questions today and no particular topic, just the topic that's on your mind. Give us a call this morning. We'll be right back after this break.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we'd love to hear from you this morning with any kind of healthcare question that you might have. You can reach us live at one 877 MPB ring. That's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. Now I mentioned uh, previously, just go ahead and put that in your speed dial on your phone, on your frequent contacts, and just uh, when you want to call in with a question, you don't have to punch in all those numbers. Probably safer too, particularly if you're driving. Not advocating anybody call and drive at the same time, but we want to keep everybody safe out there. Or if you want to send us an email where uh, you can reach us, it may be something that you thought about from a previous show and uh, didn't get a chance to call in, you can reach us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Got plenty of time and an open board for you, so give us a call. I know somebody's got something on their mind about uh, a health ailment that they might have for their family. Doesn't have to be an adult. Can also be a, a child. Uh, maybe they've got some uh, some things that are going on right now in school. Everybody just went back to school, so they're going to be bringing stuff home. In fact, uh, my son brought some, something home last night. Looked like he had strep throat last night when he came in. And another thing to keep in mind, uh, kids are stressed when they go back to school and they're more susceptible to, to lots of different things that are going around, be it a bacteria or a virus. So uh, just keep that in mind and then look out for that for symptoms. Busy time at our office. Um, we had an initial wave, of course, of back-to-school uh, checkups, getting their immunizations and their uh, sports physicals done. And then usually we have a little bit of a lull for a couple of weeks until everybody gets sick. And uh, usually right before the fair comes, we've got our, our fall viruses that come through. So uh, keep that in mind if uh, if you've got a little one or a big one that's gone back to school. Those are the kind of things to uh, to watch out for. Diets, man, everybody's got their own little diet that they're doing uh, from time to time. And, you know, dietary uh, studies are hard to design. Uh, you know, it's very hard to control for that. It's very hard to match up uh, what's a real-life uh, condition. But every once in a while we get some uh, evidence that maybe one type of diet is better than the other or has more harm than the other. So uh, this was a study that was published uh, August 16th in The Lancet, uh, and it had to do with uh, what about what types of diets? You know, high-carb, low-carb, medium-carb. Carbs get the bad rap these days, and a lot of people are just trying to cut out all carbohydrates in their diet. Um, I think, you know, a misunderstanding about the different components or macronutrients of our diet is out there. You have to have carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are one of the main sources of energy in your diet. Uh, the two other components of the macro uh, nutrients are proteins and fats. And we have to have 
all of those things. But it seems uh, this was a recent study, again, from uh, the Lancet in 15,000 people that they followed for 25 years, long time. They found that low-carb diets, that's fewer than 40% of the calories from carbohydrates, and high-carb diets that had more than 70% of the calories from carbohydrates were associated with an increased risk of premature death. So it seems like, again, moderation somewhere in the middle, so somewhere between 50 to 55% of the total calories that you eat every day uh, from carbohydrates was associated with the lowest risk of death. So if you were starting at age 50, if you ate that moderate carbohydrate diet, you'd live for about 33 33 years on average. That's four years longer than the very low-carbohydrate diet and one year longer than the high-carbohydrate diet. So keep that in mind if you're thinking about changing to some of these you know, different extremes of diets. Uh, most of the time, those extremes, you might lose weight, but it's not necessarily the healthiest thing. And again, this was not designed to look necessarily at weight loss as, it, as much as it was on longevity. How does it f- affect how long you're going to live? So keep that in mind if you're choosing the diet. All right, let's go to John in Fairhope. Good morning, John. Thank you for calling. Are you there? I can hear you. Okay. Um, Yeah, I was just wondering. I uh, developed uh, an allergy to crawfish Mm -hmm. about five years ago. And so I just avoided crawfish, no problem. But just the other night, I had a big bowl of shrimp (laughs) and I had the same reaction. So, um, yeah, I'm just wondering why did that happen five years later? And I guess I just need to avoid all shellfish. Yeah, John, I, unfortunately, man, you hit like two of the foods I love to eat, so I'm, I feel for you. Uh, yeah, allergies to foods, there's a misconception of that, that they, can, that they only occur in childhood and then stay with you with the rest, for the rest of your life, uh, that you may not acquire those later in life. Nobody really understands why you would develop them over time, but you can. So you can be any age and have eaten shellfish or crawfish, all of your life, and at age whatever, 60, 70, 80 years of age, you can develop a, uh, an allergy to it. It's unlikely, but it's, it's possible, and you really just have to pay attention to it. So if it is a true a- a food allergy, uh, you need to stay away from those foods. Now, but think, keep in mind that it, it may not be the food itself. Sometimes it is what the food is cooked with. So it, there may be a situation where it's the seasoning in the food or it's something else that was in there. So you'd really have to be a detective about trying to figure those kinds of things out. Shrimp and crawfish don't always cross-react. That's a rare thing with those, but it is possible. And you know, since you've had a, an, a reaction, it was that was that a fairly robust reaction? Was it a severe reaction? Well, it was. Yeah, I took some Benadryl and it, it settled down. Yeah, but yeah. You might that might uh, be worthwhile to go see an allergist just to get an, a, a you know a medical opinion about that. Uh, they can do some testing, but honestly, the best test is you having a reaction to it. So, yeah. uh, and if you. I would not rechallenge yourself, particularly to a food allergy, you know, like that, without the supervision of a physician, because they they would need to have some things in place that if you were to have a severe reaction, and every time you're exposed to it, there's a possibility of you know sort of increasing that reaction response. And okay. um, well, that's very helpful. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Sorry okay. about that, man. Uh, shellfish right. is Thank awesome. You. <laughs> 
All right, this is Southern Remedy. Uh, you can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Susan in Brookhaven. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. I have a question for you. Sure. As, as a child, I had chicken pox, uh-huh. and when the vaccine first came out, um, I, I've got it, got the vaccine, and uh, about 10 years after I had the vaccine, I got a full-blown case of shingles. Mm-hmm. Do I get the vaccine again, or is the current thought on that just to not have it again? Yeah, either having shingles in the past, uh, certainly you have to have chicken pox first before you mm-hmm. have shingles. So mm-hmm. uh, now we we don't know how this is going to play out with all the people that were vaccinated against chicken pox when they were younger. If mm-hmm. that's going to be, you know, if that's going to kind of sort of flavor this a different way. In your case, though, yes, I would get it. And here's the reason why. There is a newer vaccine out that you probably have heard of uh, that uh, that is a little bit better in its in its protection from uh, from shingles. If you've had shingles, that just means that actually, if you've had it already, those are the people that really need to be vaccinated against it. Um, and what we know is that vaccine's probably good for anywhere from fifteen to twenty years. When you get it anywhere from between 55 and 65, depending on your insurance and, and if you qualify, that's that's about the ages that will protect you, you know, from getting the shingles. But as you know, from having shingles, it is not something that's fun. It's not something that you want to go through again. Uh, having shingles does not protect you against getting shingles again, though. Well, I, I found that out. Now, I am 73, and mm-hmm. I'm out of that age range where I should become re-inoculated. No, if, if you haven't gotten that second one, even if you hadn't okay. gotten shingles, it's recommended now, the newer one that just came out, and your pharmacy okay. and your physician will know this. The pharmacy will probably know it better than the physician. Uh, okay. You know, if if you present them with your insurance, if you got the other one without any problem, you should be able to get this one. Okay, I think I paid out of pocket for the first one because it was when it first hit the market. Right. I had to be on a waiting list and all of that. Well, I appreciate that. That's good information. That's going to be on my list of things to do then. All right. Thank you, Susan. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's go to Mary in Eupora, Mississippi. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Thank you for calling. Thank you for having my call. I want to ask about uh, allergies. I was diagnosed about six months ago with dust mite allergies, uh-huh. and um, I'm getting shots for them. Now, every time I eat, no matter what it is, my nose runs. Ah. Am I allergic to food, or is this food sensitivity, or what is going on? Mary, is it any kind of food? Anything. Yeah. That's a little different. That's not an allergy. It's called vasomotor rhinitis is the fancy term for it. So it means that, you know, if you think about it, when we eat, we produce saliva, we produce all kinds of things to help digest that food. Your nose is trying to get in on the game. Okay, it's not supposed to. It's not supposed to be in the eating business, but it thinks it it's supposed to, and it's making all that so secretions. So mm-hmm. your physician is going to have to treat that a little bit different 
than an allergy, okay? So you need to let them know specifically and, you know, write this down, vasomotor rhinitis, okay? They'll, they'll recognize what that is. And uh-huh. there's, there's some other medications that they may want to use that, uh, that may work a little bit better. But the allergic-type medications don't work as well for that. Is it, um, is it a problem except for just it's my a, having to wipe my nose? No, nah, it's a nuisance. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a nuisance that uh, uh-huh. you just sort of have to live with. Some people, it's, it's bad enough that they have to take other medications. Some people, like mm-hmm. you just mentioned, they're like, you know what? I can sniff and eat. That's not, not, that's not a big deal. But it's not uh-huh. necess- it doesn't sound like that that is an allergic response, particularly if it's to all food. Okay, okay. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, allergy shots can be helpful with a lot of them. They're not a, an end-all, though. You can't get an allergy shot for every allergy. They don't work as well. So some things work better than others. Dust mites, you can't really get away from that. It's sort of a nasty thing to think about. We all have dust mites that eat our dead skin that falls off of us. You can reduce the amount of them by keeping your bed sheets clean, by using uh, pillow covers and mattress covers uh, to help uh, contain that and make sure they're not breeding uh, uh, overtly in those kind of things. And, of course, the allergy shots help with the allergic response, but it's hard to get away from those little dust mites. They, they're there for a reason. You know, they like to chew on our dead skin, but uh, not not while it's on you, while it's off of you. But still, the what they produce, we have an allergic response, some of us, me being one of them. All right, let's go to Bobby in Mobile. Good morning, Bobby. Hello. Hello. Thank you for calling. Yeah, uh, I was listening to you talking about the exercise and over-exercising. I'm 73 years old, and um, my main exercise is swimming. Yeah. I do the backstroke uh, for four hours nonstop. Wow. My cardiologist likes it, but uh, I'm just wondering, am I really overdoing it? Do you enjoy it, Bobby? I love it. I'd keep doing it. <laughs> here's 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 that particular study just looked at uh, mental health. So it looked at, you know, are you down in the dumps most of the time, or would you call this a good day? And that's what they asked those folks in that study. And what they what they found is if you had more than twenty three times a month that you exercised for about forty five minutes to sixty minutes, or if you did more than ninety minutes of it they were less likely to have, you know, sort of an up day, so a day that they that they would say, hey, that was a good day. But, Bobby, everybody's different. If that's working for you, certainly physical exercise, and if your cardiologist has said, this is great, I would keep doing it. I wouldn't cut back unless it's cutting in to your, uh, you know, if you're not enjoying it, uh, if it's something that you're having some, uh, you know, more aches and pains about. And you're going to have to listen to, at this point, you're going to have to listen to your body over time. There may be, as you probably know, some weeks that you have to cut back uh, on what you're doing, or there may be, you know, some periods of time over a month or two that you may have to cut back on the time or the distance. But, Bobby, I think that's marvelous. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that can do that. What's that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really easy for me to do. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'll be doing a backstroke. The bit hardest thing about it is the boredom. I mean, four <laughs> hours nonstop, man. That's Bobby, what do you think about for that? What do you think about for four hours? Everything. 
I have a waterproof MP3 player uh, where I can listen to music, and I just downloaded a book. Yeah. And I can listen to a book. But sometimes I would listen to the book, and I was just listening to it, and the only problem I had is uh, I run into the wall sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I would see that, that that might be a problem, particularly with the backstroke. You can't really uh, you can't really see where you're going there. Uh, so you got to be careful. I guess that's an occupational hazard of doing that, Bobby. I, I think yeah. you're you're fine. I think uh, I would continue doing as long as you enjoy it. Okay, thank you. Sure. This is Southern Remedy, and uh, we'd love for you to call in. We got a little bit of time for some callers. If you'd like to call in with a medical question that you have for yourself or someone else, a loved one, or someone in your family or a friend, you can reach us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're here answering your questions about the health care of yourself or your family. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email. Maybe you get into the end of the hour and don't really have a lot of time to call, or maybe you're on the road. You can send us an email later at remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Susan from Meridian. Good morning, Susan. Hey, good morning. Um, I have a question about shingles. I know there's a connection between shingles and herpes and chicken pox and I know you have to have chicken pox to get shingles, but does having like genital herpes contribute to the probability of getting shingles? Yeah. So those are so uh, thanks, Susan. Those are good questions. Uh, the virus that causes both chicken pox and shingles is the varicella virus. So. Uh, it's it's the same thing. And what happens is when you get chicken pox, you get that virus all throughout your body. And some of the ways that it manifests itself are all those little pox, those little that rash that you get happen on the skin. They can happen all over the place, usually do. 
uh, and then they go away after Im- your immune system mounts up a response against that virus. But the virus doesn't go away. It hangs out in the dorsal ganglion. Those are parts of your spinal cord. Uh, and when your immune system gets low enough, so, you know, let's say that you, as you get older, maybe your immune system wanes over time, or if you have other problems like chemotherapy, or if you have cancer, or if you have a chronic disease, diabetes, then that could lower your body's immune system to the point where those little viral particles, they travel back down the nerves and they have these weird distributions on the body. So we call them dermatomes. So wherever that nerve travels to, wherever that nerve uh, uh, receives signals from, that's where the virus comes out. So that's why it looks like it's in a pattern on the body because it follows those nerves. So herpes virus... Herpes virus is a little bit different, so there are two type, main types. There's HSV-1 and HSV-2, and one of them is the one that causes fever blisters around the mouth. The other one is it causes genital uh, lesions. Neither one of those cause either an outbreak of shingles. Uh, they're really not uh, uh, related to one another. However, if you have, uh, if you have the oral uh, herpes, if you have fever blisters, and your immune system goes down, you might have fever blisters on your mouth and shingles because your immune system has come down for whatever reason. Okay. Um, I have a, a co-worker who has shingles in their spine. Uh-huh. And it has mimicked symptoms of a stroke, but has been extremely painful. Would the vaccine have protected this person against shingles in the spine? Yeah, that's exactly the type of situation that you'd want to prevent. So, you know, nobody who's had shingles will tell you it's a fun thing to go through, but that's one of the more severe complications you can have of it. Another complication is if it's, you know, if it breaks out and it's around the eye, you can lose your vision from it. So there, there are some, yeah, there are some situations where you have really bad uh, complications, and that's what the the vaccine is is meant to prevent. It okay. gives your body a All little right. bit of chance to to increase its m- immune system. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, thanks for calling. Okay. All right, let's go to Bonnie. Good morning, Bonnie. Are you there, Bonnie? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, good. I'm very concerned about a situation that is a medical situation. Okay. And I'm on my way from Mississippi to a and I'm hoping that you might be able to direct me to the avenue that I need to take. And I'm trying to support my son-in-law as well in the situation as my daughter, his wife. Um, she's been ill for a long time with a type of diabetes. It's a type 1 diabetes mm-hmm. that about 8% of people in this country have it. It's that rare. It's an autoimmune disorder, and it's a brittle diabetes. Mm-hmm. And she is she does very well as far as being able to uh, control the sugar mm-hmm. sugar level. Um, occasionally, because of complications that she has had, which has given her this scenario, um, she has had some very psychotic episodes. Mm-hmm. And of course, we understand the nature of type one diabetes that can happen. Well, there was a full blown problem at home and he had her committed and he regrets having that done and it was she's four days now 
uh, under psychiatric care, but they have been administering a psychotic drug to her, and they aren't controlling her sugar. It is extremely high, mm-hmm. and he's very afraid and trying to uh, have her uh, released because he feels he should be able to have her released so that she can actually be in the care of her doctor at Toro, who is also you have any uh, any sort of advice on what avenue can be taken to facilitate this quickly? Yeah, there should be, wherever she's committed, there should be a physician who's in charge of her care. So that's probably a psychiatrist in this situation. Um, they will have, depending on the facility, access to other medical uh, experts. So a psychiatrist, a lot of them will have some expertise in that area, but I would talk to them first about that because they're the ones who decide on whether or not she's safe enough to be transferred to another facility or to be discharged in the care of somebody else. So that's the main person to talk to first about it and just to give the concerns because that I can see where that would be a, a huge uh, you know, frustration, but that, that's where I would start. So uh, we're unfortunately out of time. I want to thank all our callers for calling in today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.